Welcome to Layers of Film, the show where mediocre people discuss masterful films the first Monday of each month. I'm your host, Austin Killian, joined by my co-host, Big T. Big T, is life good for you? Life is good. It is. I'm very tired, but... That's right. You had a busy morning. Had a busy... I didn't tell you this in our pre-show discussion, but oh, what? Uh, my wife and I bought a house this weekend. This week. Oh, you did get it done. You didn't even text me. What the frick? I wanted to tell you live so our listeners could get your reaction. What? That's so exciting. That's crazy. So it's been an exhausting few. I feel like I've been house hunting for my entire life, but yeah, we're just. I'm glad to be done because our lease ends at our current place in the summer yeah so i knew that we were going to be homeless essentially if we didn't have a house anytime soon and it's that's like a pretty tight turnaround you know a few months yeah so i have been very stressed but it's great to know because we are under contract with this place and oh my gosh very exciting wow that's crazy that's exciting yeah. man dude it's a big moment to yeah to get a house are you kidding me yeah it's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, that's super exciting. I know <laughs> something messed up with me is like we we bought our house at the end of last summer mm-hmm. and um like it was this big moment, blah, 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 whatever. But we have a Costco like right across the street from us and uh and we have two fridges in our place. And so it's like, oh, we could get a Costco card because we actually have space to put <laughs> frozen stuff and whatever, you know? Yeah. And uh because you really buy in bulk over there and uh, we got our Costco card, and that was the moment that I'm like, I feel like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Not when you owned a house, when you got a Costco card. <laughs> Not when I had two kids, <laughs> own a so house. Funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh. Costco's great. It is great. Yeah, but other than that, the only other, uh, the only bigger news is that I saw the Batman today. Bigger news. <laughs> I love. Thank you so much for making it more important than it actually is. So, <laughs> Batman came out. You and I have both watched it. Now, the first question is, is it worth covering? Like watching for this podcast? Yes, indeed. I say no. Oh! <laughs> that's that's devastating. That's devastating. I know. Oh, man. Okay, so you did not... Like, obviously, we won't get into spoilers or anything, but you did not like it, or it was just okay, or what? It was not my cup of tea. <laughs> wow. Okay, why? Too slow... Um, I mean, first, any movie that makes me sit through three hours has a very high bar of tolerance to hit for me. Yeah. Um, Because after like that two hour mark, every single extra minute needs to be worth it. But you didn't feel like it was worth it. (laughs) I did not feel like it. I mean, I don't want to say anything too mean about it because I know you really (laughs) like the Batman and I don't want to hurt your feelings. Just lay it on. It is what it is, dude. (laughs) Um, I just... I I really like the Riddler. I will say that. Okay. I really like the the version of the Riddler that they have in this one compared to is it like Jim Carrey in the eighties or whatever? <laughs> yeah, that's the only other comparison really. Very like comic booky, you know? Yeah. 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 Um over the top. But I just felt like it was a little slow at some parts. Mm-hmm. But I think my main issue is like and you're gonna hate this, <laughs> is like the socio political stuff. Oh like I just, I mean, in like a very broad sense, but huh. it, the way that I described it to my wife was this movie felt like an alpha male's wet dream. <laughs> what the heck? Really? Meaning like, it just was like so very tropey, I felt, in the sense of like, 
what masculinity is like or like what it means to be feminine. Like I was hoping for a Batman that wasn't just like angry and couldn't express his feelings and just sort of like talked like this the whole time and (laughs) was like writing in his journal and you know like October 31st I went and beat some kids up you did not like that (laughs) I just I don't I felt like it was a a movie a superhero movie that was written in like the early 2000s whoa so weird yeah that's crazy now I don't think that it's like this amazing masterpiece right Mm mm-hmm but I think, like, no one really liked Batman Begins when that came out, really, either. Mm-hmm. Like, like people liked it, but it wasn't, like, this end-all, be-all movie. It's like, okay, that's a decent start or whatever. And then The Dark Knight comes out, and it's this absolute masterpiece. Everyone's, you know, raving about it. It's earning, whatever, $1 billion. Oh, my gosh, like, this never happens type of thing, blah, blah, blah. And for me, this movie... It's it's not a it's not a home run, but I think as an establishing movie for me for Batman, it was great. I thought it was great. I was like, okay, this is a really good first you know movie. This is a great start. The real comparison, I think, and people keep comparing comparing it to The Dark Knight. I'm like, why are you doing that? This is his first Batman film. Mm-hmm. He's trying to establish this new world, this new Gotham City. Yeah, this new Batman, Jim Gordon, all these different characters or whatever. Like, like, let's not, let's not compare it to Christopher Nolan's best Batman film, you know? Yeah. Like, chill out a little bit. The next movie is where it's, where the comparison's a little more fair, I would say. But for me, I just thought this is a really, this is a great first Batman movie, I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think too, like, I'm just not a big superhero movie fan. I just am kind of, we've talked about this before, but I'm sort of done with the genre. So I think that if you love Batman and you just like want original, like authentic Batman, then I can totally see how you really would enjoy that movie and like really get a lot out of it. But for me, it just was like very um, overdone. Mm. Like I was hoping for something new or like more interesting or like a different take on the Batman, not necessarily like a huge change, but it just felt like a lot of the same sort of like same stuff as the other Batman movies that I've seen. And Mm. I just didn't find it particularly interesting in that sense i thought that parts of the plot were really good um like the the end scene sort of the whole i mean i don't want to go into any details about it but i thought that that was like very engaging but just like the overall concept of like i don't know like this rich white guy who's like wanting to make this change and he's like has no emotional intelligence whatsoever and Mm. and again i think that i'm coming to it from a very different perspective because I understand that that is like who the Batman is, you know? Yeah. Um, it just felt like very um, like overdone to me. Interesting. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that type. Like we've already seen that before. Um, what I did really like is the relationship between Batman and Catwoman. Like we've never really gotten that. We got that in the third Christopher Nolan movie where Catwoman was introduced because that's like Batman's like greatest love, I think, or whatever, you know? Mm, not Poison Ivy. No, no. What? No. Um, but what I love about their relationship is how he is so, where Batman is so into like justice and, and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then for some reason, Catwoman, he gives a pass because he just loves her so much. And there's just this mm-hmm. weird conflict of interest that he can't get past because he just loves her that much. And if there's a comic run by Tom King, a Batman run, um, I think it lasts for like 85 issues, Batman Rebirth, I think. 
and it really explores like Catwoman and stuff. And it made me think of that. And I was like, Oh, I love this. Like, I love, I love their dynamic. I love them working together. Like it's, it's really cool to think of like this interesting, like the super, I guess they're not really superheroes, but like these kind of hero slash anti-hero duo. And it's just kind of, I thought it was really cool to me. And then I love the penguin, man. Like penguin. I thought, cause that's Colin Farrell. And, uh, it's just nuts. Like he's he doesn't see like I've seen so many interviews with him now because like like he's he's also said like I don't see myself in that person at all. Like I don't see my face, I don't see my voice, like or I don't hear my voice, all that stuff. And I I actually love the penguin. I thought that his performance was really engaging and really interesting and I want to see more of that. Yeah, I think that um the villains were more interesting to me, but I think it's probably because you're sort of expecting these very archetypal uh, characters from the villains of like, oh, yeah, these bad guys who sort of believe in hierarchical power structures and don't believe in their sort of authoritarian and their approach to the world that they live in. But I don't know, Batman, to me, like it just really hit home that whole idea of like just this one guy with a lot of money wanting to like run around the city and wear a costume and like yeah. do good deeds or whatever. Yeah. But again, that's me bringing my own, <laughs> yeah, my own stuff to this movie. But I would say, like I said, I, I really did enjoy the Riddler. I thought that the way they did a lot of the like social media scenes mm-hmm. were so like realistic. Like if that were to happen in the real world, like that's what it would look like, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, so I just, I thought that that was, um, a very, I really enjoyed that take on the Riddler. Yeah, I, I think, I think it was shot amazingly well. A lot Agreed. of beautiful Agreed. shots, and the music was, the music was really good in a lot of s- spots. But I, I think, I kind of adopt the approach or, or the mindset that less is more sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some moments where it's just like you should have just cut out the music right there. That would have been way better because there's like the initial the first fight scene that we ever get in the movie, like in the intro basically. And I'm like, you shouldn't have had any music in there at all. Mm, yeah. That's, that's how I feel. Music is such an important part to me. And I was just like, I don't know. Like you, you just, you work too hard and you should have just worked a little smarter, <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree with that. But I, I do agree too. It was beautifully shot. Like there was some great scenes and great camera work in that movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, for people who are fans of the Batman and for people who are fans of superhero movies, I totally get why they would love it. But for me, already going in it being a superhero movie, I'm the bar is already sort of like meh for me. And then being like a three hour. <laughs> the bar was even lower. Yeah. Yeah. That was so basically what I'm hearing is you thought it was shot really well. The Riddler was cool. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, artistically, I think it was really cool, but yeah. I wish that it would have um, been more engaging in like the narrative that it was trying to tell outside of the Batman story, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It was pretty, it's pretty obvious, you know? Yeah. It also makes this, it makes like a weird attempt in the middle when the cat, when Catwoman mentions like white privileged Privilege, men yeah. Yeah. and then it like just walks away from that. And I'm like. That to me is a lot more interesting of a narrative of like exploring how like race and class and like gender and ethnicity and all these other parts of your background sort of influence your rise to being a hero or your fall to being a villain. Like that to me is a lot more engaging and interesting, but I just felt like it was sort of grasping at the most like basic 
components of being a hero or like being a villain you know yeah. like oh batman wants to do good and so he's the batman and like these bad guys like want to like make money so they're the bad guys and that just to me feels very uh like very overdone like i said yeah sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, i i know a lot of people were like super upset about that line oh i totally understand why because it it's like it feels very like pandering without actually doing anything so i could see you getting mad because it's like why do you have to bring like identity into this and then i could also see you being mad like i feel like you're just saying this stuff to like please the woke crowd you know yeah, so right. i could see people getting mad either way because and i agree it was sort of like a weird throwaway line yeah yeah it was super weird like the only thing that i i would like for them to explore because of that line is just the fact that bruce wayne is this you know this billionaire white guy or whatever and 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 yet she doesn't really care. She's in love with him anyway. So I think it would be cool to explore that dynamic. Like I, I think it all hinges on Catwoman and Batman a little bit. And yeah, like, no, that makes sense. Them trying to work around their relationship and like obviously at some point, unless Catwoman dies or whatever in, in a future film, you know, obviously at some point that she's gonna find out that he's Bruce Wayne. And that happens in the comic too. Like she knows yeah. she knows who he is or whatever. Like at some point yeah and so i think that'll be a really cool thing to explore for sure because we we again we've only seen that with Anne hathaway's oh wait no actually michelle pfeiffer as well that's true never mind we got that in batman returns anyway i don't know i totally forgot about that man i'm a horrible batman fan (laughs) (laughs) i think another reason why i sort of have an issue with batman is because I feel like the Elon Musks of the world see themselves as the Batman and mm. that just like rubs me the wrong way because I just don't think like rich people are going to be able to solve the solutions of the working class. And it's really mm. annoying to me when people think that like individual solutions can resolve systemic problems like just chill out and I don't know. So I think that that also is another thing that sets the bar low for batman as well as uh, Mm. his just just his character in general sort of irks me because i'm like okay this rich white guy's like running around this city that's riddled with crime and instead of doing anything actually productive he's spending all of this money on cool weapons and stuff to make him feel cool but oh man you're missing it dude (laughs) (laughs) i know I was fine with everything until right there. <laughs> I like I said, yeah. I'm totally bringing my own stuff to this, but yeah, sure. Not to feel cool. I think a lot of it it's it's said in the dialogue is he's vengeance, right? I think he justifies why he does that because he's trying to get vengeance. That's what I'm saying is like if he really cared about ju- well, that's that, I guess that's true. He does say vengeance and it's not really justice because I'm like if you want justice like you're not going to get justice by like one man running around the city trying to solve crime, you know, yeah. like that's not how you get actual justice. Yeah. That's how you feel good about yourself for wanting to get justice while being able to punch people in the face. You yeah. know, I, I think it was all just down to not having closure about his parents or whatever without outright outright saying that and him yeah. just basically getting vengeance on every single person that could potentially end someone's life that cascades into ruining mm-hmm. a lot of other people's lives as well because it is his year two i think that they've said that mm-hmm. in interviews and stuff this is literally just like his second year maybe towards the second year of of him the end of the second year of him being batman and him just trying to understand yeah what batman even is and you get that through the little diary 
or journal mm-hmm. entries of him just trying to figure like I don't even know what's going on like I don't even know if I make it a difference I did I did like that part that he sort of has to face the consequences of what him being a vigilante has done to the city I thought that that was really interesting but well yeah my assumption is in future films he's going to embrace Bruce Wayne more as an asset in trying to change things yeah and then and then still probably going out and being batman and helping the police or whatever at the same time because i do love people in the face i love because as much as i love uh catwoman and batman's dynamic i think i loved him and jim gordon's dynamic even more just how we've never like we kind of saw that a little bit with um with christopher nolan's films him and Mm -hmm. jim gordon worked pretty closely but for some reason there's more of like this they're really friends you know type of thing it's like a little bromance going on yeah it's awesome i i loved it I just I want a Batman movie where Batman and Bruce Wayne and the other male leads can appropriately express other emotions besides anger. I think it'll get there in the second film. I think that that's what they were working towards is having a more yeah, emotionally uh uh intelligent Batman intelligent or uh, mature or whatever. Yeah, Batman. I think that's the, yeah. what they were we'll see. I mean, it remains to be seen. They haven't even announced if they're going to be doing um a second film yet but i'm assuming they will i i don't think it's going to make a billion dollars though i don't think this movie's going to make a billion it kind of dropped off Do you know how much it grossed its first week i think so far oh its first week i think it was um 250 million or something like that not domestically um worldwide what was the budget do you know let me look wikipedia's you don't have all the batman stacks stats on hand yeah no i don't what a weak batman fan i've been checking every like week though to see what the rating is on the movie still if it's dropped quite a bit and how much money it's made the batman film here we go so the budget was 185 to 200 million that's that's a lot so they made their money back within the first week and then box office so far has earned them 617 million oh wow i yeah which is actually i'm like bummed out about it or whatever because it's got mm-hmm. it's got really good ratings even though you'd probably rate it down at like a 6.7 but <laughs> but um i don't think it's gonna cross a billion i'm not even sure if it'll get past 700 million i don't know i have no idea yeah but it is what it is i i still i liked it i'm excited for it to come out on hbo max and yeah next next month month, right yeah yeah i would say if you're a fan of batman and other superhero movies and you just like the classic formula with maybe a little bit of tweaks it's a great movie if you're wanting something a little new and something a little fresher it's probably not as exciting but i definitely see how people who just love the original batman content and love superhero stuff in general i can see how it's a great movie for them i i thought it was good i thought robert pattinson uh, did a great job uh personally i think all the performances were actually really good i thought they were all really strong yeah i think so too good movie good first start for a new batman uh trilogy or whatever they might end up doing um really interested to see what they do next they have some hbo max original series that are coming up i think um Hmm. there's one that's based on the penguin that he's gonna do for like a little mini series thing on hbo max and then they're gonna do one based in arkham asylum oh that's cool so yeah so i'm actually pretty excited to see what they do anyway that's the batman talk our mini our mini layers of film episode within the real layers of film episode i'm gonna say this right now because i love the foo fighters uh the drummer 
Taylor Hawkins just passed away at age 50. No. And uh, I'm bummed out about that. So rip Taylor Hawkins. And uh, yeah, so I'm just going to say that. Rip indeed. Rip. <laughs> rip indeed. Okay. Now with all that, I, I mean, we had to talk about the Batman. Of course, we had to. <laughs> but let's get into the actual meat of the episode. North by Northwest. That is not South by... Oh, never mind. I don't think I included that. <laughs> uh, I didn't include that in the last episode. Big T accidentally said South by Southwest. and uh, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no proof of that. There's no... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Zip it. Uh, this movie, North by Northwest, uh, was, le- <laughs> sorry, was released July 1st, 1959. The synopsis is a New York City advertising executive goes on the run after being mistaken for a government agent by a group of foreign spires and falls for a woman whose loyalties he begins to doubt. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Ernest L- uh, Lem- Lemon, Lehman, composed by Bernard Herrmann, and the big actors in this are... Cary Grant as Roger Thornhill, Eva Marie Saint as Eve Kendall, and James Mason as Philip Van Damme. The budget was $4.3 million. The box office earnings was $9.8 million. Uh, and you can watch it at this time um, on HBO Max if you have a subscription to that. Um, $9.8 million. What a low... I mean, they, they doubled their money, but holy smokes... That is not that much money earned. And as like, as a comparison, maybe a decade or so later, the, uh, I think Goldfinger, I looked this up because I was curious, Goldfinger, which is a James Bond film, which I think is decent to compare this to. Um, maybe not because Sean Connery was uh, the James Bond in that one. Maybe he's a bigger, you know, leading man, I guess. But I think they made like $125 million. So that's uh, like to me, just looking at this, the earnings is quite low. But North by Northwest, Big T, neither one of us had seen this film. What did you think about it? Yeah, I mean, going off of your comment about the earnings, I think from my understanding, North by Northwest was like really the first movie to ever embrace this specific genre of like having an action movie but also mixing in some comedic moments yeah um so i wonder if it didn't do as well because it was sort of very new for its time and so Mm. people didn't really know what to do with it okay because i feel like the formula that north by northwest created is seen in almost like every action movie that exists nowadays you know like the majority of it is action and really filled with adventure and explosions and stuff, but there's always some sort of comedic relief, yeah. um, even if it's very infrequent. And so I feel like, um, at least from my understanding of North by Northwest, it was the first movie to ever really do this. And whenever you're at the sort of front of the curve, you might not be as quote unquote successful. But yeah, I mean, I think overall, I've always heard great things about this movie, so I'm glad that we watched it. It was, again, a little long <laughs> yeah. for my taste. But I will say um, it didn't move as slow as I thought it was going to move for a movie that was like, what was it, the 60s, right? Yeah, or 1959, so almost the 60s. Oh, yeah. So um, I think I like enjoyed it as an overall experience. I probably wouldn't watch it again, but it's very difficult to get me to watch movies more than once except for ready or not but (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, there's a select few that I will watch yeah. repeatedly. But um, yeah, I mean, I thought there were parts that were like funny. There were parts that were intriguing, entertaining, engaging, some sort of surprise twists, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very tropey, not tropey. They're more um, cliches now because mm-hmm. there's been so much time to build off of them. But um, I think overall, I am glad that we watched it. Yeah, no, I think um, very clever, very clever film. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, a lot of twists and turns. Definitely dated uh, for sure. But still, some aspects of it was like, wow, that's actually that really holds up, you know. Mm-hmm. But going off of like the whole tropey thing uh, or cliched or whatever, it's I was saying that to my wife is just like how a lot of it was kind of predictable, but only because so many other films have done that same thing. Exactly. It's because of this film that they even do it in the first place. But I mean, we've seen so many action, like thrillers or whatever you want to call it. And a lot of them follow the same formula, just like you said. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because we've had so much exposure, like my wife always watches like just these you know, B-tier detective shows, you know? Like, there's a billion of them. Really? Right, you know? She'll watch, I mean, maybe A-tier, I guess, in a way, but... uh, Murder, She Wrote? No. What? (laughs) No. That's old, dude. No. Um, No, like like Bones, or uh, Mm. Castle, or, you know... Psych, or... Psych, all that stuff, you know what I mean? Gotcha. And so, she's watched so many of those that every episode's like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's gonna be this guy, blah, 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 you know? Yeah, the third supporting character you meet is the bad guy. He, yeah. That's the one who committed the murder. And then you're going to have like a red herring and you're going to find a clue at the very end. That re- Yeah, exactly. And and they all follow the same formula. We've all seen it before. It's the same thing kind of goes into this. Like we've we've seen this movie before in a lot of other mm-hmm. movies since then. And it's kind of hard to break away from that mold because it is it's a pretty good mold. I mean, a lot of twists and turns. Yeah, it's proven to be successful. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it only makes sense. But I mean, I was able to like once we were introduced to like Eve, I was like, OK, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. OK, all right. Like we got this love interest. But why now? Like in my head, my first thing was she is way too into potentially a murderer. She's totally OK with making love. To this murderer. Yeah. Like, does that not tip you off, my friend? Either she's just nuts, but why would they do that? I can't believe that they would do this in a 1959 film. Or she's working for the bad guys, right? Now, Mm -hmm. I didn't actually see... I didn't. I wasn't thinking at all about the whole secret agent aspect of it. Although we should have. Yeah, because the professor hints at it in that meeting. Like, working under his nose. And I'm like, oh, okay. And yeah. I, honestly, I didn't even put any thought into I didn't even, like, try to make uh, predictions of, like, oh, it's going to be Leonard or it's going to be yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, I didn't even, I just put that out of my mind immediately. But, like, that was the part where I'm like, oh, she's working for the FBI or whatever. You know, that's, okay, interesting. I didn't see that. And that's the thing, like, I feel like, especially for the 50s, like, that's very twisty and turny, it seems like to me, where you have, like, this not only like um, a plot twist, but like a plot twist within a plot twist. You know, oh, she's not just the love interest. She's the bad guy, but she's not actually the bad guy. She's like a spy that's pretending to be the bad guy that's actually the love interest. So, yeah, yeah, definitely like some interesting plot devices going on and stuff, as yeah. uh, like you said. 
Yeah, and I said before, music is important. The music was so... Oh. It was crazy dated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my my wife, she said when the car chase scene was happening, when he's like drunk driving or whatever, yeah. she's like, why is this Flintstone music? <laughs> <laughs> Which is very accurate. <laughs> Just imagine his feet going out of the car. And... <laughs> um <laughs> really though yeah no i totally and and second for that scene way too long oh i totally agree that scene and the scene where he's waiting for the bus or whatever on the road i'm like yeah they showed three cars passing and i'm like we get it (laughs) he's not coming we understand you don't need to keep panning to the desert like yeah we understand I, I have a section for my notes called random thoughts slash questions. And there's a lot of like, why is this still going on? <laughs> I have a lot of those. Like, yeah, like why? Well, also, like, why are they still in the car talking about making love to each other? Like in their, you know, like, oh, my gosh, just get to it. And I like wrote down, like, does this progress the story at all? And like, yes. <laughs> it does not. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why? I wrote a note and said, why are they so horny? <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, what is like again, like that rose that or that that brought that question up of like, you should be worried about this lady if she's <laughs> this into yeah. a serial killer or not a serial, but a murderer. Yeah, he has no situational awareness whatsoever. It's like yeah. you are being chased by both the police and some group of people that want to kill you. <laughs> and you're just like stopping to talk to like a pretty lady. Like, yeah. yeah, bro, what? Like, please use your head here. Yeah. And that's the funny thing is he is pretty smart. He's very capable. And he like he follows a thread like immediately. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, let's go check out the hotel that that um uh, Kaplan is staying at or whatever and let's see if we could talk to this guy he brings his mom along for some reason yeah I love that his mom was there for that part <laughs> I have no idea what the point of her character really was except <laughs> except to just show her disdain for her son I don't and I also love that he sees the murderers and then leaves his mother with the murderers I wrote that note like you're literally she could be kidnapped dude and held for ransom like like they they know that she is somehow involved with him and he just leaves her it's funny though because I saw like trivia in trivia like they have a very close relationship and I'm like I guess like they have a close relationship in a way of like he knows his mother's schedule. You know, she's going to play bridge at so and so's house or whatever, like Mm -hmm. which is I don't know my mom's schedule. I have no idea what she's doing today. But (laughs) but um, so in a way they are close. But at the same time, like they don't really respect each other. I don't think at all. Yeah, it's very toxic because it's freaking (laughs) he's at his hearing. Is like, oh, do you? The lawyer's like, do you see him as a like an upstanding citizen or whatever? She's like, huh. <laughs> she just she goes, like rolls huh. her eyes. Yeah, it's like you're at the hearing, dude, and there's a judge right there who's gonna decide what to do or whatever. <laughs> yeah, not a great character witness. <laughs> no, and then and then later on, the opposite end where he doesn't respect her at all is uh, he's like trying to get on the phone in the hotel to talk to Mr. Kaplan or whatever. <laughs> And she's like, starts saying something. And he's just like, shut up. <laughs> and just tells his mom to shut up. <laughs> it's, it's, there's no respect yeah. at all. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's very um, unhealthy, the relationship that they have. It's really weird. It's funny, too, sometimes, though, because one of my favorite moments was when he was talking to the his first arrest or whatever, and he was talking to the cop on the or talking to his mom on the phone with the cop or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, what was the line that I wrote down? Oh, yeah. Roger clarifying in the police station to his mother that the men pouring alcohol into him didn't give him a chaser. She's like, she asked that question, like, did they get, did he give me a chaser? It's like, no, they didn't give me a chaser. It's like, it's just this hilarious. Like, that's what she cares about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no uh, worry at all. Like, like, this must be a regular thing for him to be in the, like, to be uh, arrested or something. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. And I love to, like, there are just so many parts of this movie that, you're just like, why are they making these decisions? I mean, the entire premise of it is like, oh, this innocent man gets roped into like this whole scheme or whatever. Yeah. But it's like, if, and I think the mom even says it, she's like, pay the $2 fine. And instead of like paying this $2 fine, (laughs) he goes down this enormous rabbit hole. It's like, okay, you had this experience with them the previous night where they literally wanted to kill you. Yeah. And now instead of like, just minding your own business and paying the fine and walking away from this, you just keep on like digging and digging for no reason other than like your ego. Well, to me, there's no guarantee that he's going to be safe though. Like, yeah, the the United States or whatever, like, you know, the police or enforcement or whatever, like will get off his back, but he still might be hunted by those guys. So maybe he's just trying to follow all the threads to find this Catholic guy to set everything straight so that he doesn't have to keep being hunted by these. I don't even know what they are. These, I don't know what they are. They're like Like, smugglers or yeah, they're just like bad guys. Oh yeah. Cause they're like, they want like microfilm, but I don't know what it's for. What is microfilm? (laughs) What? Yeah. What is the microfilm for? They like, they're talking about it like it's drugs or whatever, but it's like, what's on the microfilm? Okay. The entire ending to this movie is just like, what's going on here? Because you get no conclusion whatsoever about, yeah, like what's going on with these bad guys. Like it literally, you hit the climax and there's no resolution. It's just like, oh, the professor showed up. They got the microfilm and then it ends yeah. with him on the train. And I w- it was like so jarring to me because <laughs> I'm still like, wait, yeah, what is the microfilm for? Like, why? What is, what's going on here? I'm just so well, confused. My, now that we're talking about it in the brainstorming and stuff, I think maybe it makes sense because they know about Kaplan. Maybe they have on the microfilm like agents and all sorts of plans and documents and whatever. You know what I mean? And it's all in the microfilm. And the United States doesn't want get, want to get those secrets like out. I don't. I have no idea. Well, but Kaplan's not real, though. How did how did they? <laughs> how did <laughs> Kaplan's not even real? But they go in and they know so much about Kaplan, but they don't even know that he's not a real person. That's yeah. That's a little bit of a plot hole. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, yeah. that's the whole point of Kaplan, right? Is for them to be on Kaplan's trail instead of devoting energy to figuring out that Eve is the spy. Yeah. So that's the whole point of Kaplan. But, but how did they like? Not find I don't know what's we. I mean, they don't even tell you what's on the microfilm, and it's like, if it really were a list of all of these spies or whatever, which I mean, Eve's not really a spy. She's more like a a mole because she's yeah. not. 
she's not like a she didn't start out as a police officer or an agent going undercover. She yeah. just was like sort of an informant. So yeah. she's not really even a spy necessarily. But if it were a bunch of identities of agents on the microfilm, like why wouldn't Van Damme just looked at it? Like it's it's just as <laughs> I'm really confused. It seems like there's a lot of what are they called like MacGuffins or whatever of yeah. things that are sort of pushing the plot along. But if you sit and stare at them too long, you're like, wait, Why? this doesn't really make sense here, but yeah. I'm all for it. So whatever. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's like they have so much information about this Kaplan guy and they probably have a lot of information on a lot of other agents that they're able to dig that much and mm-hmm. see where he's even going to stay in advance. And that they can't, they can't understand that Thornhill is a real human being who's been at this ad agency for this long and like, like I don't know how they even keep thinking that he's Kaplan. Like they didn't think for one second to actually look into this guy and see well if he's Thornhill or not. That's what I was saying because like I feel like when he gets away the night after the whole drunk driving thing, if he had just gone back to his normal life, I feel like they would have realized, oh yeah, this guy is who he says he is. Maybe. But he starts showing up at all these places that Kaplan is supposed to be, yeah, which true. just further proves to the bad guys that he's Kaplan. And it's like, no, if you had just walked away and gone back to your normal life, <laughs> you probably wouldn't even be in this mess, but you're so like focused on proving that someone tried to kill you. It's just so weird to me. Yeah, but Big like, T, he would have never he would have never found future Mrs. Thornhill. Ugh. And they all would have been better off for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's there's there's the when they're in the woods and um, I think she's saying like why do I fall for men like you or whatever and then she explains how um, she was bored and decided to fall in love in a weekend with this crazy lunatic uh, whatever Van Damme guy and I'm just like well you're doing it again yeah you've taken exactly two days to fall in love with this Thornhill guy and you're you're ready to commit to him. Love's move, love moves fast in the 1950s. What can I say? Holy smokes. Insane. That, that is a ridiculous part of the story, by the way. Like, that whole love story is just nuts to me. But whatever. It's like, I, I can under... Also, he's so old, man. He's so old. And she's, according to the movie, she's 26. And he's got to be in his 50s. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. I think that was more... Of a thing back in the day, it's though. Very, um, very New York ad executive, though. Dang, man, crazy. I will say, what's pretty nuts, though, is I was thinking about this yesterday. We just watched a movie with an actor who died. He lived his entire life before you and I were even born. <laughs> like that's true. He was he was dead before we even existed as human beings. Like that's weird to think. Yeah. That that is I've for some reason I've been actually thinking that a lot lately, um, like watching anything where someone has died, like anything with like Robin Williams now. It's just like man, mm-hmm. we're watching a ghost right now. Yeah, it's Wh- really weird. Which like we do all the time with all sorts of stuff, but for some reason, like maybe it's at this age, <laughs> yeah, in my life, this point in my life where all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is weird. Like this guy's dead now. You know? Yeah. No, that's so so true. But I feel like this Cary Grant thing, it's especially weird because like when we watch a movie with Robin Williams, a lot of times like we're like we at least overlapped with his life in some sense, you know? But yeah. like Cary Grant was born, lived his entire life and died, and we still hadn't been in existence. Like that's so weird to me. That is weird. It is weird. 
But he's he's gonna be held in time forever. I guess so. With this brilliant movie, I like the movie is good, but it it is age. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I mean, for a yeah, like I said, from a movie like a, for a movie from the nineteen fifties, it's it's holds together pretty well, content wise. Like yeah, I still thought there were a lot of parts that were sort of surprising and interesting and engaging. So I mean, kudos to Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, there's a potential that that drunken driving scene was just awesome back in the day, but here it's just like, what is? This yeah, is that's what on. I was wondering. Is like, I was like, is this the first like car chase scene that's not yeah. really a car chase? Yeah. You know, like it was, but he wasn't even aware that he was being chased. <laughs> also, I, I don't know if it was just me, but I feel like his drunk acting was not good. No, I honestly, Cary Grant was like the. He was like the weakest link of this entire film, in my in my opinion. I thought yeah. his performance was pretty. It was okay. Like Not it wasn't great. that great. Yeah, I had to turn the subtitles on because I couldn't, I couldn't understand him. <laughs> That's the. Oh yeah. Did you did you? I noticed it all over the place. Just, I mean, it's it's the way that it was back then too. Just like the ADR, the. Uh, Oh, I don't even remember what that stands for, but just like the, you know, the voiceover basically work mm-hmm. that they were doing. It's just completely off most of the time. Like that entire <laughs> first scene where he's talking to his secretary, it's like none of these words match up with his mouth right now. I did I did notice that. I did notice like, yeah. whoa, you just said something and your mouth is still moving. It's still moving. It's like we're watching anime or something. <laughs> but like... Before translation. And his secretary's voice is like... Because they're outside on the sidewalk with a bunch of people around them. And her voice is like, like it has this reverb, this echo in the background. I'm like, you're clearly in a room just talking right now into a microphone. That's so funny. But, but you know, it is what it is. It's 59. That's the way it was. But they could have done a slightly better job at matching up, matching up the words. Also, there's some like, just like glaring just like over explanation, like exposition of stuff that doesn't really like, they didn't think that the audience could just remember anything. Did you notice that? And like the, the biggest offense or whatever, is just like, Oh, I hope you're okay. Or whatever. When they're in the woods and he's like, Oh, like, I can't remember what he says, but he's like, no, when I shot you with the gun, with the blanks back in the cafeteria over by the, <laughs> it's just like, Oh my you're gosh. Like, <gasps> We just saw it. Like, what do you mean? Why do you have to explain this? Like, maybe back then people didn't know what blanks were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Because they kind of explained that too. It's just like, oh, it's, oh, what's the word? Oh, Leonard used some, a specific term to explain it to Van Damme, but I can't remember exactly what he said. But yeah, that's true. There's a part where he says something and he's like, what does that mean? And he like gives an explanation. It's like, it's like doing this, but she used it with blanks or whatever, you know, that way. Yeah. 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 Maybe yeah. that wasn't a, maybe that wasn't a thing thing back then. Good point. Who knows? We weren't alive in the fifties. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe we were. Huh? <laughs> Ghosts. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe people didn't know what blanks were. Yeah. You know, I I really enjoyed the UN scene. Okay. I thought that that was... I mean, the the guy's face, Townsend, when he gets a knife in the back, is like... This feels like a cartoon character whose eyes just like... You know, like bug out (laughs) or whatever. Right. Because he... I feel like he was 
over the top there, but I thought that was really interesting, like that he ends up getting killed. I didn't really see that coming, I guess, you know. I thought what's his fate I thought the henchman was just gonna wait for him to come out and then he was gonna yeah. strangle him to death or something. And I love too that like Cary Grant pulls the knife out and then is holding it as if he just stabbed this like yeah. you could not have struck a more like guilty pose if you tried. <laughs> <laughs> like hunched over with the knife, like held like it was just so funny. And he, he looks like right at the camera for the news. <laughs> yeah, with it, I'm like, oh, I just got caught. Oh, shoot. Like, I, yeah, that, that was a moment. Like, I don't watch sports, but you know how, like, a lot of people who watch sports are like, oh, come on. Like, what are you mm-hmm. doing? That was a moment for me. I'm like, what are you doing? Why would you pull the knife out of his back, my friend? Let him drop yeah. dead and walk away. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's a new, he's an ad guy or whatever, you know? So, like, I guess it makes sense that. Like he doesn't really know what he should be doing. <laughs> yeah, I was reading something that said, because um, I think parts of that were filmed in the UN or like actually around the UN, and it was like super impressive that Alfred Hitchcock got permission. Oh, right. Because that like wasn't a thing back then, and so it was really a big deal that he was able to get these really great shots. But apparently, one of the shots of Cary Grant entering the UN, they filmed without getting permission. Yeah, they had a secret camera. Yeah, they had like a little secret camera. So I thought that was pretty funny. It was the outside of it, I think, mm-hmm. I, if I remember reading right. Yeah. I will say, though, like a lot of the cinematography was like the camera work I thought was pretty interesting. Like there were some pretty scenes like when they walk into the cafeteria at the at Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was like, oh, this is like a really pretty cafeteria and it's like really well shot and stuff so yeah there was some pretty good camera work for the 50s as well oh i mean i i like the big standout shot was when he was running away from that crop dusting plane and you could see the plane in the background and he's running towards the camera and the camera's shaking and Mm -hmm. i thought that that shot was actually like that holds up a lot like I thought that yeah, was way cool. I think that that's like one of the most famous scenes from that movie too. Okay, that makes sense cuz I was going to I mean outside of like literally standing there for 5 minutes watching cars go by <laughs> <laughs> the plane like that was actually like me talking about it before like less is more music wise. The music was not playing at all and I'm like mm-hmm. this is really chilling actually. Like this holds up. Like yeah. I'm actually I don't know what's going to happen. Like obviously he's not going to die but like What's going to happen? Like, how is he going to get out of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was a really good shot. I think that's like the cover to the DVD or the digital art, too. Oh, okay. Of, like him running away like that. Super good. But yeah, it's like one of the most like iconic scenes from it, I think. No, very good. From my understanding. Yeah. Yeah, this movie just reads like a nightmare sequence that I would have of like, <laughs> I try to get out of a pit and I just keep on digging myself yeah. deeper and deeper into the pit. Yeah. Like everything he tries to do to save himself just makes it worse (laughs) yeah and well also like it makes it worse but at the same time this guy remains surprisingly calm throughout all of it like literally his whole life has been turned upside down and he might not be able to return back to the united states you know what i mean like he should flee and and never return to the country but he doesn't like it'll resolve like that's the kind of attitude he has the whole time no it's like you're literally fleeing from many different groups right now, and you're going to spend time to flirt with some lady you just met. <laughs> like, how is this your priority right now? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a long train ride. It's going to be a long night, and the book that she was reading wasn't particularly good, so you got to yeah. fill up your time somewhere else. Okay, can I just say, the flirting on that train was grotesque. <laughs> Dude, 
I was so surprised. <laughs> like, not only was it very forward for its time, especially, I feel yeah. like, but also I feel like the person who wrote a lot of the dialogue, especially when they're in the car or like in the room and just like sort of kissing in the dark, <laughs> yeah. a lot of the dialogue, I was like, I feel like a 12th like a 12 year old wrote this dialogue and then someone was just like, <laughs> say this in the sexiest voice you can, yeah. you know? Cause there's like a, there's a whole thing about, Oh, I'm a big girl. Oh, in all the right places too. And I'm yeah. like, what? Holy smokes. <laughs> My gosh. Like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> what is going on right now? Well, and then there's the line too, when they're having lunch or dinner or whatever in the train and, She's just like, oh, I don't make love on an empty stomach or something. I can't remember exactly what she said. Yeah. There's like, holy, very s- forward smokes. Yeah, no, there's there's a thing where she says, I think she literally is like, are you gonna murder me tonight? And he's like, shall I? And I'm like, it's like yes, why, please. Why is this like you're flirting? Like, <laughs> you can't just say these things in like a sultry voice and like think that it's passing as flirting like anyone else would read this as this person's a serial killer or they're completely out of their mind but especially because he literally was accused of murder i'm just like yeah this dialogue is i just it was so funny to me because it was not the only thing that was flirty about it was the tone of their voice and like the way they were speaking. Right. But the actual dialogue was just like hot trash. <laughs> no, it was odd, dude. I yeah, I I mean, any of that stuff was just it just kept going on way too long, way too long. Just it's like just have sex already and just move yeah, on. cut to black, fade to black and let's get this going, man. Yeah, totally agreed. And then, I mean, there's... Okay, so going back to, like, these extremely long sequences that had no business being in the movie, I think. The drunken scene, the whole flirting scene, and then (laughs) the last, like, the climax at Mount Rushmore was just like, you guys are just slowly climbing down (laughs) these rocks. It's like, oh, my gosh. And no one could find you. And And then the big payoff moment is <laughs> is the henchman waiting he could clearly hear them like a, like a cartoon villain like a cartoon villain and then finally when she screams and it shows him it still takes him like two full seconds to actually jump on Cary Grant yeah and you can tell Cary Grant like intentionally does not look in that direction oh I'm like gosh. that direction is the most obvious direction you would look but <laughs> This villain is just yeah, hands yeah. up like a bear, just so funny. And then and then he throws the guy off, and he's scre- this this got me to laugh. He his he was screaming as he was falling off, but then when the camera cuts back to them, his scream just disappears out of, <laughs> out of nowhere. It's like okay, maybe he hit the ground at that point. I don't know, but it was just like what the some editing That's issues. So and honestly, I didn't notice a lot of these like kind of sound type of issues um until I watched it a second time with headphones on. I'm like, "Oh my mm. gosh, this sounds horribly mixed. Like it's so <laughs> bad." That you saying you didn't love the Flintstone soundtrack? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, when the the opening <laughs> credits comes on and I'm just like, "Whoa, this is intense already. Like what is going yeah. on?" Yeah. I actually appreciated true. though. I appreciated the opening credits and how they 
had the words um, follow the same angle that the buildings that it was on. I'm like, oh, that's clever. Like, mm. you know what I'm talking about? Like the title stuff. Yeah. And yeah, that was pretty clever. And like, you kind of see stuff like that today. But I'm like, wow, they actually thought to do that back in the day. Like, that's pretty cool. It's true. Very true. Uh, what did you think about the professor and that whole... Like, just being okay with this random guy dying and just taking the fall for this Kaplan guy. Yeah, I mean, it was, they were so, like, nonchalant about, like, oh, well, it looks like this guy's going to have to die. Yeah. What's for lunch? (laughs) It was for lunch? Well, the the secretary, or whoever that lady was in the room with all these other guys, it's like, can like are you really this callous or something? It's like it's casualties of war. I can't remember what he says. It was like holy shit. Yeah. Of the war of microfilm, what's going on? Yeah, the microfilm that we don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's hidden in a statue for some reason. Especially too, because like it's not like sacrificing Thornhill would save a bunch of people, right? Because usually that's the justification of like, oh, we have to let this one innocent man die so that all these other people can be saved. It's literally like a one-for-one transaction. Yeah. And (laughs) the professor does not seem to care. Like, you could easily pull Eve out and then also protect Thornhill. Like, there were so many other solutions to this problem, but... They needed to make sure he got back. Why? Yeah. I don't really understand why that he needed to take that plane. That's the real mystery. I don't know. Yeah, that is the real. I mean, that maybe that was the point. It's just like, oh, I want to keep the audience guessing of what it even was. Maybe that would, re- you know, provide like some kind of entertainment over the years. Alfred Hitchcock was planning for the sequel South by Southwest that just never happened. <laughs> I mean, nine point eight million dollars. Yeah, I, I, the professor was an interesting character. Um, I actually really liked at the end in that cafeteria by Mount Rushmore where Thornhill's just like, oh, I'm not talking, you know, I'm not talking to her or whatever. And then she goes and like just kind of the clever, like, oh, she goes off and, and talks to the professor to figure out the plan so that they know what to do, blah, blah, blah. I thought that that was kind of clever for a 1959. Uh, film you know what I mean yeah because you don't really have they didn't really have anything to work with right like they were creating all of the yeah original content yeah yeah there's there's quite a few clever things in this in this film like them calling like them calling the hotel while Thornhill's in Kaplan's room and all this stuff like oh you are Kaplan or whatever because you're in the room Mm -hmm. and then and then he calls the operator immediately after then it's just like hey where did that call come from was that really a thing that you could do back then? I don't know. But where did that call come from? Oh, it came from the lobby. Okay, let's get out. Yeah, that'd be pretty scary. I mean, I totally saw the whole, oh, they're going to go back to that Townsend house and everything's not going to be there anymore and yeah, everyone's going to exactly. pretend like nothing happened. Yeah. Getting gaslit. I mean, for the time, that was probably pretty clever. That was a little bit of a thing for me, though. Like, why not just pour the bottle of bourbon straight into his mouth instead of in a separate cup that now you have to <laughs> also why not just kill him <laughs> why not just kill him why not like <laughs> they had no problem throwing a knife into a man's back in broad daylight <laughs> yeah. like why do you have to make this murder look like yeah this <laughs> like accident. an accident that's a good point especially because like you're giving him you're literally giving him a, get- a getaway car yeah there was you could have thrown him off the edge you could like there were so many other more convenient and more effective ways to stage an accident right. but like it was like okay yeah that's cool it's like there's no way 
I do not believe back in the day that people could really tell when you died. Like these days, people would be able to tell like, oh, they died way before this car accident. But back then, there's no way. You could have easily bashed him over the head and then drove that car off of the cliff. Yeah. No, that's very true. Yeah. But then the movie would have only been 20 minutes long. Yeah. What what would you think the purpose of mentioning like, do you think there was a purpose behind, like, why bourbon was brought up so much in this film? I don't know. It was all over the place, wasn't it? Like, just constantly drinking bourbon. Maybe they were sponsored by bourbon. Big bourbon. <laughs> Big bourbon. And then also, do you think there was a reason why he just, he constantly threw money at everything? Like, he just, he gave out money left and right to people. Yeah. I think that that was just, like, a rich hotshot thing to do. I mean, I okay. think it still is, but... I mean, a lot of times you need to get, you have to tip people like that, you know, the valet yeah. and the person that comes to press your suit and yeah. whatever. But I think that, that was just, that's just like sort of a thing rich people do. Yeah. I, well, cause I was wondering that the whole time. And then there's that scene where that guy gets out of the car before the whole plane thing. And then he thinks that it might be Kaplan or whatever, you know, that he's trying to meet. And then he makes this comment saying like oh crop dusters get rich if they live long enough and then that kind of raised a question to me like what does this dude think that rich is you know what i mean because i can't imagine a crop duster really getting rich you know what i mean like by yeah by you know whatever standards i don't even know but like like maybe in his world like rich is like oh man this guy's got like a hundred dollars and he's rich <laughs> like i don't even know a hundred dollars in a decanter of bourbon. Yeah, yeah. But and then and then, um, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you got this guy throwing money at everything, like anything. Like I, I don't even like ch- taking the clothes off of that guy in the train. Um, I love that scene, by the way. Like I love that. Oh, he went up that way, and he's counting his money. Like yeah, oh, he was in on it. But okay, so it was more of just looking cool. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe there was something there. I mean, I think it's definitely like this seems like the kind of mishap that can really only happen to a rich white man (laughs) because everybody else is smart enough to know like you don't go digging for trouble if you don't need to. And he did not need to do any of this. Yeah. Like, pay your $2 fine, go back to your life, have a fun story to tell people at parties. Like, no one's going to believe him, though. I know, but at least it's a fun story still. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Like, a, yeah. I, I think they also kind of set up a little bit like just people in the advertisement world just don't, aren't really respected by other people, like hard worker, hard work, like true hard working, you know. <laughs> Are you saying advertisers don't work hard? They work hard in a different sense. Like, I'm a web developer, but I don't work hard. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, you don't do manual labor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a blue-collar job. And I think yeah. I think a lot of the people, like, there just seem to be, I can't really point to a lot, a lot of examples except for just his mom doesn't seem to really respect his line of work. And I, 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 yeah, I wonder, again, like, back to that guy that was at that car um, waiting for the bus. Like, I wonder what he would have thought about, you know, if he had talked about the fact that he was an ad advertisement guy i don't even know but from the big city of new york new york i also thought it was clever to have that like what do you call it like that message boy at the very beginning you know calling out for kaplan and then and then he turns around and just like hey over here like you yeah know. the telegram guy yeah yeah 
And that was that was the setup for why there was any confusion of him being Kaplan anyway. That was pretty good. Yeah, good exposition. Yes. I do wonder if those people he was eating lunch with were like, where is this guy? <laughs> yeah, a lot of lingering questions. And then the next thing you know, there's a newspaper article about how he killed someone. <laughs> oh, my. The UN. I thought he was just going to talk to his mom about the <laughs> or his secretary about his mom not being home. That's what I was wondering, too. Like, I mean, again, this sort of goes back to the conclusion of this movie. You get nothing about life now like his face was literally splashed all over the newspapers that he killed someone at the un and it's like yeah okay cool like now what it's like yeah mate you've yeah sure you've been absolved of everything but no one's gonna want to talk to you that knows you anymore because they think you're a murderer you know so funny but it doesn't matter because he's got the future mrs thornhill hey that's a question do you think they last um no. <laughs> <laughs> What's your reasoning? Well, he probably died. Let's be honest. The <laughs> age, there's poisoning? like a thirty. There's like a thirty-year oh. age difference, and he's a drunk. Let's. I mean, that was actually one of my favorite lines when mm-hmm. he's talking to the professor, and he's talking about why he needs to go back to work, and he's like, "My mom and my something, and um, I have several bartenders who <laughs> depend on me." I wrote that down. <laughs> I I also wrote that down. I love that. Yeah. yeah, it just like kind of comes out of nowhere too, but it's so funny. <laughs> it was a good line. And I, again, I, I think that this kind of goes back to um, Alfred Hitchcock being the first person to sort of mix in some humor with these more like thrill uh, action sequences. Yeah. You know, we were talking about, we were talking about um, the dialogue of them sort of being seductive, but not really saying anything flirty, you know, in the train. Yeah. And when I was watching the Batman today, I felt this the same way at times oh, when yeah? when Batman and Catwoman are talking to each other. I'm like, the actual words that they are saying are not, this is not good dialogue, but like they're just saying it to each other, like in the really sultry way or whatever. So that just got me thinking like, oh, maybe that's one other thing that uh, North by Northwest sort of instilled in the action movie was how the love interests are supposed to talk to each other. Interesting. I oh man, it's been a few weeks. I can't remember the dialogue. Next time I watch it, I'll have to. Yeah. I'll have to pay attention to the dialogue because I don't remember thinking anything was like crappy. I just feel like the production team wanted you to like really get the sexual tension between them, but sure. I was just like, I'm I'm not getting that here. <laughs> Yeah. So, I don't know. It just kind of made me laugh. But I just think it's it's pretty cool, though, to see. I feel like there are some really clear moments where you can see what North by Northwest brought to this genre. Yeah, sure. You know? Yeah. I think that that's, I think that's interesting. I mean, one of the scenes that I thought was really impressive, and you sort of talked about this, was the scene with the plane in the fields. Like, the part where <laughs> it was kind of comedic, but when it runs into the oil tanker or whatever. Yeah. Which I'm like, how did you miss that? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're true. L- literally in an open field. Like, <laughs> the guy was just straight, only looking at tunnel vision, looking at um, yeah, Thornhill. But um, I mean that whole scene of like a big fiery explosion on the road or whatever. You gotta have an explosion, man. Exactly. Yeah. But I just thought it was funny too the the reaction of the people who stopped to look at the fire. I don't know if you paid very close attention to them, but it their faces were not the expressions I would be expecting someone to make if they just saw a 
plane run into yeah. and explode and like run into a <laughs> vehicle and explode. I feel like you could, it was very easy. You could very easily tell that like you had one scene where the explosion happened and then they filmed the reaction scenes in a different part. And like the, the actors weren't told what they were looking at because they're just kind oh. of like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Oh yeah. yeah. Like, oh, how did yeah. that like, happen? They're, they're not like shocked. They're not terrified. They're not gasping. They're just kind of like, oh, this is interesting. And I'm like, that is not the reaction that you would be having if you just saw this happen. <laughs> Maybe it's just the most exciting thing they've ever seen in their lives. They're just like, wow. <laughs> well, I love too that Look they're at just that huge fire. Like they just stop to watch it. They don't stop yeah. to help. Or they no. <laughs> well, and they it's like they don't help, but at the same time they get closer to it. I'm like, you idiots. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, the truck says that it's like, there's a whole other one that could explode. You know, the trucker, he gets out and these other guys are just standing there. Yeah, just watching (laughs) it, waiting. And no one's like, oh, was that Farmer Joe that just died in his crop duster? (laughs) Not a single question. Nobody cares at all. No. Yeah, it's like, it was, yeah, very entertaining. And then I don't know if you saw it, but it cuts to, um, a little bit later, it cuts to a newspaper and it's like, two die in fiery crash or whatever. Yeah, who else died? (laughs) Well, it's just like, this is very morbid. Like, (laughs) the audience didn't need to know that these, like, people died. Like, it's just so weird. Yeah, no, I mean, that that was a small question I had. Like, well, wait, who died? Like, who was in the plane? Because you never see them. And uh, obviously, I mean, if you think about it or pay attention later on, the other henchmen, like the less, like the skinnier one or whatever, you know, the one with the messed up teeth, he's he doesn't show up for the rest of the film. So he died. Like, that was definitely him, <laughs> at least. But <laughs> He it was said, one of the two. He was one of the two. But, <laughs> but the, other, the other one, was it the woman pretending to be Townsend? Who else died? <laughs> like, maybe there's another henchman we didn't see, but what? Yeah, I don't know don't who know. else died. Farmer Joe. Oh, man. Yeah, he kept Farmer Joe with him. Oh, that's probably, actually, yeah, that's. Maybe it was the flight instructor. Maybe he just tied the other guy up and rode that And the police, the police couldn't tell that he had been killed beforehand because they didn't have the technology. Yeah. So they're just like, two died in this fire <laughs> accident died. when. His head was bashed in. For some reason, he decided to pilot the plane with his hands tied. I do not understand why. Blindfolded. Blindfolded. That's going to get you killed, kids. With a bullet in the head. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. So that was, uh, again, great scene. I love that scene. That was a great scene. Like, I can watch that. Like, like you said at the beginning, I don't think I need to watch this again. (laughs) But I, if that scene pops up on YouTube, like I'll probably watch that scene. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did like Ava something Saint whatever whoever plays Eve. I I did like her performance a lot. Actually, I thought she did a really good job. Yeah, I thought she was really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought she did a good job too. In some interviews and stuff, people were it, like kind of shocked or whatever by her role in this because I guess before this film, she didn't play any type of character like this. Like maybe hmm. I don't remember the exact specifics, but maybe more of like a damsel in distress or whatever. Blah blah blah. So this was like a more serious, like a or like a bigger role where she. Um, really was kind of more independent and, and stronger and, and stuff like that. So I think people, or like a, she described it as like a sexy agent or whatever. It's like, that's something I never played before. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, that's good. Good on her. She was able to yeah. go on. But I, yeah, again, I think she did a really cool job. Really classic. Yeah, I thought that she, she 
definitely um, upped the acting game. Yeah. Compared to Cary Grant. Yeah, for sure. Like her, Leonard, Van Damme, and the professor, I think, had the strongest acting. Yeah. Leonard was creepy, dude. Like he was, he kind of freaked me out. He was creepy. Yeah. Just this looming presence, like just constantly there. It's just really cool. And he's just had this weird stare that's like, what is this guy going to (laughs) do? Yeah. I know I saw also in an interview that, um, who, who's the actual actor? I don't remember the actor's name who plays Leonard. Martin Landau. It was more of a subtle... I think he brought this to the character himself. I don't think it was really written to be like this, but he decided to kind of add this little flavor to the character. He decided to play him as a gay man. Um, And that's... To him, it was to make sense of, like, why he really wanted to, like, put Eve in her place or whatever. It's like he didn't quite understand why he wanted basically to prove her that her disloyalty and all that stuff so he wanted to kind of have like this extra uh characteristic to it to where maybe he's in love with van damme and that's why he's trying to protect him so much i have no idea huh yeah interesting and then there was also a a bit of dialogue i didn't write this down but a bit of dialogue that was added to support that kind of thing oh yeah where where i think van damme's like question like why would you think that you know, she might be betraying me or whatever. And and he says, oh, maybe it's my woman's intuition or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was to kind of support that characteristic of him, I guess. I don't know. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So that was, in- yeah. I I mean, I didn't read into that at all. Like, I didn't see that at all. I was like, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, that doesn't really come across at all. <laughs> yeah. He's like, and he said that in the interview. It's like, it's very subtle. I was like, okay. <laughs> that's cool i guess so subtle you wouldn't even see it if you didn't read this interview <laughs> yeah exactly but i guess kind of cool nonetheless i don't know Inter- it's always interesting to hear like what the actors yeah to see how people get to the acting that they end up doing exactly were there any other standout characters that you in- i feel like that's pretty much everything right or everyone hmm. eve did a good job van damme i thought was pretty he was like a He's just like that classic villain type of guy, like a fast talker, very smart, intellectual. You know that everything that he's saying was well thought out and like yeah. you know, beforehand. His performance is really good um, by James Mason, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of any. I feel like we've covered all of the Characters. main people. Yeah. What about the police officers? Do you think they did a good job? I don't really <laughs> remember them. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh, I did like in that drunk, like to kick off that drunken car chase when Thornhill pushes the one henchman out of the car. And like, so like it didn't seem like it was going too slow, but right when he pushes him down, for some reason, it slows down so much to like two miles per hour. I'm like, that guy's totally fine. Like, like no big deal. He could, he could run to catch up with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, which he did. He just runs over to the other car and, and comes right back. That's funny. Oh, I thought it was funny how um, when he's like at the police station and that like alcohol test guy or whatever is like, you know, asking the, him doctor. the questions. Yeah, the doctor and he, <laughs> and, and uh, Thornhill just just starts getting up and going to sleep on the table. <laughs> but like this must have happened like a bunch of times before because the doctor just keeps carry on saying his <laughs> thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I wonder if that's really how they had to do it back then, like a blood test it must at the police be, station. Man. That's so weird, huh? Pre-breathalyzer. Yeah. yeah. There was actually a lot of things in this movie that I was like, 
oh, that's so, that's like not what we do anymore. Like the, I mean, I've never really ridden an overnight train, but when they're in the train car and he like writes down his order and then the waiter has to like rip it off a piece of paper. I don't really know what's going on there. So yeah, there was, there were a few other things too that I was like, oh, I don't really, I wouldn't really know what to do in this situation because we have technology to, for all of this. Yeah. 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 That's actually you bringing up the piece of paper, the order piece of paper or whatever. That, that actually reminds me of a restaurant here. I don't know if you ever went there while you were here, but uh, Crown Burger, um, probably my favorite burger joint ever. They have mm-hmm. like pastrami burgers and stuff. It's so yeah. good. And uh, But they kind of take orders like that where they have like a scratch piece of paper and they check off everything and whatever, blah, 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 and then hand it to the... They do it themselves, though. I guess yeah. I don't do it, but they just check off everything and then hand it to the cooks and then they do it. So it kind of reminds me Real of... Real old school. Super old school. Yeah. Also, there's no automatic locks and child locks on cars back then. He like reaches out to like unlock the door and get out. He's like, oh, it's locked. It's like, I'm pretty sure you could unlock it from the inside, my friend. Like, yeah, <laughs> get that's out true. there. <laughs> like they weren't trying to stop you. You probably could have done it. <laughs> you could have gotten out right then. Maybe that's why they were laughing at him because they were like, you could have gotten out, you, you fool. Oh, yeah. Why did everyone laugh in the elevator when... <laughs> The mom was just like, you're not really trying to kill my son, are you? <laughs> like, why did everyone think that's... And then, what really killed me, though, because everyone was laughing. I'm like, this is weird, like, horror story type of stuff. Like, this alternate reality. Like, what is going on? Yeah. And then, all of a sudden, the mom just, like... She's, like, stone cold, like, dead in the face. And then, all of a sudden, just, like, laughing. Like, just cracking up, cracking up over it. That was a weird... That was a weird scene. Yeah, and we never then we never see her again because she gets kidnapped and killed by the <laughs> killers that her son left her with. Maybe she was the she was a second body in the plane. <laughs> why would? Oh yeah, maybe <laughs> that's why that guy didn't show up either because he was in the plane and he's just been babysitting her this whole time. Oh my god! Maybe I I also love how for some reason they have they have a car. It didn't get ruined in the drunken chase scene. But they decided to take a cab to the hotel and then have the cab guy drive them to the UN. Like, follow that car. Yeah. Like, why didn't you just drive your own car? Uh, there's a lot of just like little ho- like plot holes in this, <laughs> this little film that I kept track of, I think. I'm sure Alfred Hitchcock would be shaking in his boots if he knew two I mean, 20 he- year olds were going to tear his masterpiece <laughs> apart. <laughs> just, just kidding. I mean, it it just speaks to the time. I mean, if you have to explain what blinks are or whatever to the audience and what literally just happened in the previous scene, then the audience must not have been smart enough to Maybe. have these plot hole questions, you know. Oh, I also liked, I don't know why, like there was just these small things that I just really enjoyed, even though it was really eh, simple and easy or whatever. But just like when Roger was trying to sneak down at the end, and then the maid or whatever, like seeing his reflection through the TV, I was just like, yeah. "Oh, nice, good job!" Like that was pretty. And cool. I love too that like you learn later that it's the same gun with the blanks in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you can tell like Thornhill's so pissed at himself for not realizing that he's like, "It took me five minutes before I realized it was your gun." With the your silly in gun, it. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought of that too. Like right when he said that, I started cracking up because I started just picturing what was going on on the inside of that house, like what kind of conversation they were even have having in the first place. And then he's just like, 
Wait, that's that's a that's a silly gun. <laughs> that's a blade. Like, wait, wait a second. That gun looks familiar. And he just to starts me. walking out. And she's like, ah, shoot. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny too because when Eve is getting escorted to the plane, I was like, oh, how's she gonna get out of this? Like, there's nowhere really to run. She yeah. can't really outrun them. She's pretty like sequestered here, and then she just like runs away. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, that. That's one way to solve that problem. She made it so obvious, too, as they were walking. She looked back every five seconds, and <laughs> and I was like, oh, they're not even going to address this. But even Van Damme is like, what are you freaking out about? <laughs> you know what I mean? It looks so... Well, over. too, like, I feel like she runs away, and it takes her so long to get into the car. I'm yeah. like, these people should have caught up with her by now. Yeah. But... Yeah. Whatever. I wonder uh, if he should have just rammed into the gate as well instead of stopping in front of the gate. That's yeah. what I was thinking. It did sure. look like solid wood, though. Yeah, it did, it did look like solid wood for sure. Yeah. but And we wouldn't have gotten that sweet rush more. Something that I noticed a lot was how much like green screening or whatever mm-hmm. splicing. I don't even know what to call it because they didn't really have a green screen, I don't think, back in the day. But how like there was a lot like all over the place. Even... Like, just walk. Like, I finally noticed it the second time, like, a lot. I was just like, man, they must have felt stupid because they were just like joggling from side to side, you know, instead of actually moving forward just so that they can. Because most likely it was too noisy wherever they were filming. So it's like, well, we'll just, we'll just shoot this, the shot of where they would be and then we'll just catch it in post with them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah. There was a lot of green screen though, but I didn't really notice it until that chase scene at Mount Rushmore where they were literally like like tearing out pieces of their film and putting it on <laughs> Rushmore but the colors did not match whatsoever it's like they're like coming through a portal <laughs> on Mount Rushmore what is going on yeah or like the angle is so off you're like yeah. this how, how are we seeing like a head-on shot of Abraham Lincoln but then you're like like you would be crawling through air right now if this were the real angle. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, besides like it not matching up pretty good, like as far as color goes, I thought that the angles <laughs> besides some, I guess some of the Rushmore stuff, but like for some reason I was impressed when he looked, when they looked up to see who shot Leonard or whatever. And uh, I was just like, oh, well that actually matches pretty well with them looking mm-hmm. over the edge of the Mount Rushmore, the top of yeah. it. Yeah. Like that was pretty good. Why would he expect Leonard to save him though at the end? Like, I don't know. Help me! It's like he's been chasing he, you, this hunting you this whole time. Like, what? He literally was uh, ready to pounce on you. Yeah, he's ready like, to kill. What's her face? Like, I don't. <laughs> like, why would you think he would save you? Yeah, <laughs> maybe that was um like a trope that they inverted to like oh the good guy appeals to the mm. heart of the bad guy because the bad guy leonard does step forward to look like he's gonna help and then he steps on his hand yeah right. so i wonder if that was a thing back then where it was like oh my gosh he's actually not helping him you know I yeah don't know. oh yeah yeah because this- he stepped forward and i was like wait <laughs> is he really gonna help here he had this look <laughs> on his face like oh i feel bad for you yeah and i was like what this makes this does not track and then he stepped on his hand i was like that tracks yeah that's something that i've noticed over the years and i can't point to any specific examples but just like there was kind of like this thing that i feel like really started happening in like maybe the 90s and 2000s where just to provide a good twist you would make 
the the actor port like portray their lines or whatever in a very creepy way. It's like, oh, maybe he is a bad guy or whatever. And in reality, it's like, but he was the good guy all along. Why would he? Why would he perform his lines so creepily like that? Then it makes no sense. But it was That's just funny. it was just to provide the twist. But it's kind of like a pet peeve of mine. It's like he wouldn't have acted this way. He's not actually the creep. He's a normal guy. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> Maybe it's because. Everyone back then was a creep. <laughs> I guess. But I feel like that's why... I feel like that was kind of... Maybe that's where this comes from or whatever. Because this movie also kind of has... Like, he has this weird face where he thinks yeah. that he's going to save him. Or where you think... Just for the audience. It wasn't mm-hmm. actually... Like, he, in reality, he would have been like, No, what? I'm killing you right now. You <laughs> <laughs> just shot him. And slowly... That's also another pet peeve. Like, why is slowly... Like step on his hand, just kick his face and okay. get him the f yeah, off. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Like this is like only for the movie purpose here. Like <laughs> yeah. you, you're clearly building up tension for it to then for the bad guy to lose here, but in yeah. reality, just curb stomp that mf'er. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What else do you have to say, my friend? I don't really have anything else to say about this movie. I just have rants. That's pretty, like, <laughs> as we're talking about this, like, this is not that great of a movie. Yeah. I mean, I still think, though, it's so impressive that For the day. this was in the 50s, late 50s. True. And there are still so many action movies that follow this pattern. Yes. Like, to me, that, like, indicates that it is a masterful, masterful film because, like, obviously it worked so well and it was so impactful and it did stick with so many people True. that then, like, the future generations growing up on this action thriller, comedy, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. like, they're drawing upon that. So I think that even just the, se- the fact that you can very clearly see the impact that this movie has had on current films even, you know, yeah. half a century later, even more than that, like... Uh, it's just very uh, interesting to no, me. Oh yeah, for sure. I I do agree. It's it's um it's laid down the foundation for a lot of movies that have come after this for sure. And for the time, it is impressive. I mean, even today, I was I was still impressed by yeah some of the things that they were able to accomplish back then. Some of the shots, and I think when you really try to ground things in a practicality, that always usually holds up a lot better. Especially like mm-hmm. that plane scene. That was pretty. Or that was decently practical. I think they did some of it on a set, but um, yeah, it was still really well done. Yeah, or like when we watched Alien, which was filmed what twenty years after this movie. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like Alien, even the pacing was a lot slower than this, and it was a lot more predictable. Oh yeah, this was very fast paced. But this, uh, I mean, I think it was fast paced for its time, minus the five minutes of him looking at the cars passing, and minus the five minute um, drunk driving scene. I mean, obviously there's moments where it's not great, but I just feel like even compared to a movie from the 70s, this movie was a lot had a lot faster of a pace and it was more um, shocking, I guess at times of, Oh, I didn't see that coming or, Oh, that was an interesting twist, you know? Whereas, so I think that that too proves to me or shows or indicates to me that this movie really um, did set the groundwork for a lot of different stuff. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree. I was just seeing one of my notes, like what a climax lasts about five minutes too long. <laughs> 
they should have used the five extra minutes for the climax and pushed it to the resolution because this should have been an hour and a half long movie is really what it should yeah, have been for sure that's true yeah um i mean yeah some some every movie should be an hour and a half though <laughs> if it's over an hour and a half straight to jail if it's something i love i'm fine i'm fine with it going on forever I did want to mention the whole ROT, his initials or whatever. Yeah. I love how that's like established just so that he can get the point across to Eve at the end that he's there. Yeah. Which also like, like they, they went to great lengths in the car to explain that, you know, in the train car. Mm -hmm. And then even later, they didn't think that the audience would be able to remember this. And decided that, oh, for some reason, he must have a cut on his hand. So that he pulls out his handkerchief that has ROT on it as well, which reminds him of the... It's like, it's just like this funny thing. <laughs> That's true, because I, I was like, where did this blood come from? Exactly. It was just to bring in the handkerchief. Oh, that makes more sense. So that he could remind himself. I was like, did he get shot? Did he get stabbed? <laughs> no. Like, for some reason, it just happened. My assumption was while he was climbing up, it happened, but they didn't point it out whatsoever. That's so funny. I didn't even think about that. I just was like, what is going on here? Yeah, so that was a little extra. They didn't need to do that. And then I, I last thing that I do, I definitely want to point out because I, I love the airplane scene, but I also really love his clever way of getting out of the auction house, of mm-hmm. getting thrown out of it. I was yeah, like, that was pretty clever. I was like, ingenious, dude. Like, just make a scene. And it was really funny. And what I noticed was everyone in the room was so pissed, except for the girl immediately to his left. She was having a ball <laughs> with it. <laughs> she loved every second of it. And so that's like, if 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 you've made it this far to the podcast and you haven't li- watched this film yet, at least... I mean, there's a few scenes to definitely watch for sure, but like, just watch out for that lady next to him in the auction yeah. house. It's so funny. No, that was a good scene for sure. Also, he can fight. He he picks this fight with this guy in there or whatever, and he blocks his punch and punches him right in the gut. He could have been a spy, man. He could have been the next James Bond. 70-year-old James Bond. Instead, he sold his soul to the advers- advertising devil. Yeah. Oh, you know, I thought of one more thing. Watching this... There is a point about like, I think with about 45 minutes left, I said to my wife, if this movie ends with him and Eve getting married, I'm going to lose it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's basically what happened. Yeah. And it's the cheesiest cut ever, dude. Yeah. I hated (laughs) that cut. Honestly, this is probably like my least favorite conclusion end scene of any movie I've ever seen in a long time. Like, I was just like, (laughs) (laughs) for reals. She's just like, oh, I don't know if I can hold on any longer. And then it immediately cuts to him in the trade car. He's just like, well, you're going to have to, Mrs. Thornhill or whatever. And then there. Yeah. And he pulls her up onto the bed. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. Maybe that was awesome back in the day. This feels like Alfred Hitchcock realized this movie is way too long. I don't want to cut out any of the cool car or plane scenes. For some reason, I'm really passionate about this five minutes of car watching. So we're just going to, we're just going to cut out the most important part of the conclusion. And just, I just feel like at that point it was just like, 
okay, we gave the audience the thrill seeking adventure they wanted. Just just end it. Wrap it up. We're done. <laughs> yeah. It almost it was almost so ridiculous that in the middle of my second watch through, I was just like, did they insinuate at the very end that this was all a dream and he was just telling a ridiculous story to this wife of his or this uh, uh, whatever, I don't know, uh, fiance. That's so funny. I was like, was this a dream? And then I listened really like hard at the very end when he's talking to her in the car. I'm like, no, it happened. It's like, what the? Whatever. It's fine. Hey, it's a decent film. <laughs> it There's a lot of cheesy things that don't hold up anymore, but I think the camera work was really good. Music wasn't that... Their love music was not great <laughs> at all. It was really annoying, actually. <laughs> and uh, But the performances were pretty pretty solid, top-notch. Pretty clever, a lot of good twists and turns. What, I don't remember the love music. Can you uh, do a rendition for me of what, what it sounded like? No, I don't... <laughs> I've like, blocked... do, 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 no, do, it wasn't do, like that. Like, like clown like music? No, it was like this orchestral... I don't even know. It was pretty... It was whatever. I could. That's so funny. I, I I almost want to find it on YouTube and play it for a second, but that's not going to happen. But I mean, hey, it laid the groundwork for a lot, and I think a lot of things do hold up for sure. Yeah, Camera- I can respect yeah. it as a masterpiece for its time and the grandparent of many great action movies nowadays. Yeah. Yes. Great way to put it. I think. Watch it. Enjoy it. Have some laughs. Enjoy <laughs> five minutes of Cary Grant watching cars drive down an abandoned oh, highway. Gosh. And you probably, and then finally one car might be the one, but it's not actually the right guy. Take some notes on how not to flirt with someone. Yeah, don't don't lean into the serial killer thing. Like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's That won't work in real life. It's a masterful film, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for listening. Oh, I did. I did have trivia, but is it worth talking about? I don't know. Um, this was actually kind of weird and gross to me. While they were on location at Mount Rushmore filming and stuff, Cary Grant would charge fans 15 cents for an autograph. That's like, really? <laughs> you got to charge people for autographs? Like, you're not already making a ton of money? Which I also found out through the trivia that he, uh, like, they delayed shooting for a while, and in his contract, he got an extra $5,000 a day that he wasn't able to shoot or whatever. He ended up making just an insane amount of money just based off of that alone. Wow, that's wild. And he still had the audacity to charge people 15 cents for autographs. Exactly. Like, what? <laughs> anyway, so that and I'm, I'm pretty sure... Oh, yeah, the film went nearly $1 million over budget. Probably... That does not, that, that does not surprise me <laughs> at all. <laughs> Probably because of that. Probably because 90%, of, 90% of it was Cary Grant's extra money. Exactly. Oh, I don't really... The title is bad. The title's bad, man. Like, it doesn't make... North by Northwest. Like, it's a cool title, but at the same time, it doesn't describe any of the movie whatsoever. You know what I mean? Yeah, I th- I saw something about it being, like, the general direction that he's traveling. Exactly. Well, it's in the air... The, like, the whole airplane... Not the whole airplane, sorry. The airport. Yeah, the airport. Yeah. The Northwest. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, that's literally the only point in the movie where reference. <laughs> it's referenced it's ridiculous um and i i read that it was just the working title but they couldn't think of anything better so they went with that <laughs> and it's like isn't there like um there's like a film festival or something that's named after it now right oh i don't know maybe what is it isn't it like uh i think it's 
South by Southwest. Yeah, the, it's a film. I don't know if it's named after this. But oh, okay. South South by Southwest, abbreviated as SXSW, oh. and colloquially referred to as South by. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I've never. I didn't see that, and I, I've never heard about that. So very interesting. The sequel that Alfred Hitchcock wanted maybe was a film festival. Potentially, the house at the end of the movie, the exterior of it was not real. What does that mean? It wasn't real. It was like all painted or something. Like I don't even know. Oh, I I can't remember. I didn't write. There was more to it, but I just put that down. But I'm pretty sure they just like painted, just made this whole weird like exterior like cardboard set or something. Like I don't even know. This is a weird thing. Thornhill appears on the left side of the screen for almost the entire movie. I didn't catch that. (laughs) But apparently that's true. I was going to say... Why? I don't know. It's probably just this weird coincidence. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's true. Like, he's sitting and eating dinner with her on the left. When they're flirting for 20 minutes, he's on the left. Like, the only time that I can remember that he's on the right side, he... Is when they're like hanging off of the edge and he's on the right side of her, I think. Maybe that's just his good side or something. Yeah. Also, also um, oh yeah, you know, that's probably exactly. If he's going to demand $5,000 a day that he's not shooting. <laughs> it's, also, it's also written in his contract. He can only be filmed from the left. Yeah, yeah that's my good side. I won't have you catch anything else. <laughs> that's a good point. But... Also, he was reluctant to accept the role because he was 55. And he's like, I don't know if an older character should be playing or older gentleman should be playing this character. But apparently also, I didn't write this down, but he was confused by the whole film. He didn't even know what was going on while he was filming it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I had the same experience watching it. So Yeah, but Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock thought that that was actually perfect because he's supposed to be confused by what's... Like, why is yeah. he even in this mess? But still, it's just funny that the <laughs> main actor, the main character, doesn't even know what the movie's about. He watched the whole thing and is like, like I still, still don't, don't get it. Blanks? What are blanks? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they had to write that scene in, because he couldn't, he didn't know what blanks were. <laughs> exactly. You know the blanks. <laughs> That wasn't even could, that wasn't even a line. She was just improvising <laughs> that because he, she could see the confused look on his face. You know, he's like, "How am I alive still? If I got shot, <laughs> it doesn't make sense, <laughs> Alfred." I can imagine him the whole time, the whole time shooting that forest scene, and he's playing it as a ghost, like ooh, <laughs> and they're just, they're just trying to explain to him the whole time. You're alive, dude. They're blanks. What do you mean? Oh, my gosh. That's good stuff. That's funny. Oh, shoot. (laughs) I want to see the outtakes on that movie. Okay, that's it. That's it for this film. North by Northwest. Check it out. Again, I believe at the time that we're recording this, the film is on HBO Max. So if you want to watch it again or for the first time after listening to this podcast, you can check it out there. What's on the menu for... uh Next month. Yeah. It was my turn to pick, and I decided to go with a movie that I've never seen before and Big T haven't seen before. Uh, I thought it was only fair since Big T's always the one that brings the things that we haven't seen to the table. The Godfather. Unbelievably, neither one of us have seen this. It's almost a sin to not have seen this film, but uh, The Godfather is up on the agenda for the next episode, which should be coming out May 2nd. Directed by Francis Ford uh, Coppola. I 
think that's how you say his name. Rated R, of course. Check out the reasons why it's rated R, the parental guide or whatever on IMDb to see what you're willing to sit through or not. At the time that we're recording, this film is only available to rent or buy, but, you know, it's one of the best films of all time, so you should probably just bite the bullet. Or pirate. Or pirate. Hey, we don't condone. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) So, The Godfather, check it out. Watch it. If you guys want to write into the show, uh, layersoffilmpod at gmail.com, and we're also layersoffilmpod uh, on Instagram and Twitter, and... I'll try. I'm not really good at advertising the show at all, or whatever, or getting like clips and stuff like that. But I did start a Layers of Film Pod TikTok account for clips to live, mm. and we'll see if I actually post anything on it. Uh, but you can follow that as well if you would like. And uh, yeah, with uh, all that said and done, we will catch you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Cue the outro music. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> <laughs>